And just like that, we're back for week two. This is the Stash It or Pass It podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shugarts, and this is your weekly report on everything crypto, cannabis, and culture. Crypto being our weather report because crypto, just like the weather, is 24-7, 365. Cannabis, that's going to be our traffic report where you can tune in for weekly updates on the uh, industry, the financial markets, and what's going on with legislation. And then we have our Anything Goes report, which will be the culture report, where we're really going to have a lot of fun. You know, we've developed some great relationships over the years, so we're going to have on some great guests and, uh, you know, talk about a wide variety of topics. So tune in for... uh, a lot of cool stuff there. And again, you know, thank you so much for uh, joining us here for our official episode number one, because I'm sure you saw in the first one, it was episode zero. So again, thanks for being with us, you know, make sure to uh, check the show notes for some of our uh, affiliate links, you know, again, nothing you hear on here is financial advice. We're all just you know, sharing, uh, you know, knowledge that we've picked up along the way and, you know, trying to educate people on uh, some really cool stuff going on into, you know, very uh, new industries. So, you know, you can check out some of those links and, uh, you know, keep up with us too on our Instagram. That's uh, stash it or pass it. And, uh, you know, you can also catch me on Twitter. That's uh, at jshugs, S-H-Hugs76. Uh, you know, I'm on there a lot, dropping links and, uh, you know, having a good time. So anyways, thanks again for being here. So without further ado, we're going to go to our weather report. And here we are, folks, with our weekly weather report. We're here with Awesome Barnard. He is the co-founder of Orca Capital. You know, just to recap from last week, Austin is going to be our weatherman and, uh, he gave us some uh, some education and some tips, you know, on dollar cost averaging into an investment. And, uh, you know, he told us the less you know, the more you should focus on Bitcoin because in the crypto market, Bitcoin is king. So, hey, Austin, here we are this week. You know, it's been about a week since last we spoke. And, uh, you know, the captain has taken off his uh, the fastened seatbelt sign. We're cruising at about 30,000 feet. So, Big, big picture when we're looking at the market, how you look, how's it looking? How do you feel? And, uh, you know, what's going on out there? Glad to be back, Jeff. Thank you. I'd say we're actually cruising at about 38,000 feet right now. Uh, last week when we talked uh, crazy, we literally were talking when Bitcoin price was bottoming around 29,000. Here we are today, like almost 30% higher, um, flirting with 40,000. Uh, while it does seem bullish, I still think we're ranging in this 42 through 30 grand um, range until 42 breaks. I mean, it's crazy again. Like we said, you know, Bitcoin and crypto is just like the weather. It can be very unpredictable. And here we are, 30% up from the last uh, last we spoke. And, uh, you know, just to go on that, you know, it was actually a very big week um, overall in the uh, crypto community and in the Bitcoin community. And, um, you know, there was a conference that happened called the uh, the B-Word Conference. Uh, at that B-Word Conference, it was actually Elon Musk, Kathy Wood, and Jack Dorsey. Elon Musk, the uh, CEO of uh, Tesla and uh, SpaceX. Jack, Dorky, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, Cash App, Square. 
and uh, Kathy Wood, CEO of ARK Investments. So, Austin, just wanted to hear, you know, your opinions on that um, and uh, see what you thought about everything. Yeah, it was definitely a, a big conference, and I think it helped. I think price was uh, like 32 grand when that conference started, so it's definitely accelerated since that. I, I left the conference really happy with what Elon had to say. In the past, he's obviously we know with the SEC filings that Tesla owns Bitcoin, but he not only was super bullish the entire phone call on, on Bitcoin specifically, but he also disclosed that SpaceX owns Bitcoin, as well as he personally owns Bitcoin, ETH, and Dogecoin, but he made it clear that he owns a lot more Bitcoin than the other two. So I think the conference was great. Jack and Elon obviously are already set for life, but they have a ulterior or like a goal to better the world and they think Bitcoin is the best tool for it. So it's great to hear that. Kathy Wood, I have a great respect for because she's so tech forward. And at the same time, though, you got to be understand what we're looking at here. Kathy is their biggest cheerleader. She's her ETFs arc own a ton of Tesla, a ton of Square. And I, I'm pretty sure I saw she recently bought a bunch of Twitter after this call as well. But overall, uh, glad to see big people in the world getting together and um, spitting facts. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, we were chatting a little bit while that was going on. You know, I was actually at my first uh, acupuncture appointment when it was happening. So uh, I still got to catch about 25 minutes of it. And uh, I just remember at the end there listening to, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey's overall response and, uh, you know, how he sees it as helping to create world peace. And, you know, that again made me think about what you said, how he's given given up his wealth, um, you know, many times over. And, uh, you know, again, I look at it like this, you know, this was some, uh, some news that came out square seller cash app title, you know, Jack's going to, they will all be focused on building an open developer platform with the sole goal of making it easy to create non-custodial permissionless and decentralized financial services. Our primary focus is Bitcoin. Its name is TBD. And TBD actually stands for Think Before You Drop, which ironically made me think of uh, acid, which is kind of funny. But again, I just wanted to read that because it uh, it shows, you know, how big, um, you know, how big this is, how big it's getting, how serious it is. You know, this is a this is a CEO of, you know, some great companies and he is, you know, having them focus, you know, directly um, on Bitcoin. So I'm really excited to see what happens. And uh, just like what we talked about last week with the hard wallets as well, you know, Jack um, Square is developing one of those. So, uh, you know, he really believes in, uh, you know, leaving the banks and getting a lot more uh, financial independence and, you know, people all around the world's hands. So that's one of the reasons why he loves Bitcoin. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love it too. So for this week, you know, we wanted to, uh, you know, ask our weatherman here, you know, a couple questions while, uh, while we got them, you know, so last, last we spoke, like we said, Bitcoin, uh, was trading at about 29,000, you know, here we are, as we sit, we're trading at about 38,000. So we're flying high right now. The captain, again, he has off the fastened seatbelt sign, so we can move about the cabin a bit and, uh, we can get some questions in. So Austin, again, thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask, you know, again, this even happens to me, 
you know, I follow a few different things and I might hear about stocks getting shorted or Bitcoin's getting shorted and, you know, we're in a short squeeze. So the price is shot up. You know, what is, uh, what does any of that really even mean? Uh, good question. Yeah. So shorting is a way to profit by being bearish. So bearish means you think price is going down. Bullish means you think price is going up. So to short something is it's actually called selling short. So you are borrowing, let's say I want to short Apple stock or short Bitcoin. You would borrow Apple stock or borrow Bitcoin from the exchange. You would sell it on the market. So you collect that money with the intention to buy it back lower because you need to buy back that borrowed stock or coin and give it back to the exchange. So an example of shorting is maybe Bitcoin's at 38,000 right now. I could short one Bitcoin, collect 38,000. And then if Bitcoin goes down to 35,000, I pay 35,000 to buy back that one borrowed Bitcoin and give it back. And now I netted three grand of profit. Contra like on the other side, if, if I sold it short for 38,000 and it went up to 40,000 and I thought it was going higher, I would buy it back for 40,000. So that's 2000 more than I sold it for. And I would take, I would realize a $2,000 loss. So in general, shorting is simply just a way to profit to the downside. The market encourages, doesn't encourage shorting, but it, they allow shorting because it, it opens a, um, what kind of market is it? It's a, like a free true market. They're, the more liquidity and the more players you have in it is the, the easier way to find the true actual value of whatever the underlying is. That makes sense. So, so, you know, right now, for example, when this price shot up, if people say we're in a, in a short squeeze, that's because the price that they bought it for thinking it would go lower, it never reached that price because we had more people buying it. So it never went down as low as they thought it would. Um, it'd be more like this, Bitcoin's trading at 32 grand and you're not in any position. And then it drops below 30, like we were on the call last week. Some idiots who think it's smart to short at support would borrow Bitcoin and sell it for 30,000 with the intention to buy it back cheaper. But if it goes up, they need to cover their shorts, which means like close their position. And so once it starts going higher, all these shorts have to buy back, which increases the buying to close the position as demand. So that spurs the demand. When you see these shorts covering, plus all the, that makes the price start to go up because of demand. And then people like me or you who want to buy more, we're like, all right, this is going up, let's buy more. And it just fuels the demand. And all the people who are short, especially on high leverage, they are forced to cover because when you short sell, your, your risk is unlimited. Versus when you buy, when you go long something, that just spot long. If I buy one Bitcoin, the most I could lose is, well, I would still always own one Bitcoin, but in US dollar value, the most I could lose is the amount of the Bitcoin that it's worth. I couldn't lose more than 100%. Right, right. Okay. No, that makes sense. Because, uh, you know, just like what you were saying there too, which was going to be my next question. And that was about, uh, you know, what does it mean when people see, you know, Bitcoin, you know, going long on this stock or going long on Bitcoin. And that's essentially you're buying the asset and you're holding it. Am I, am I wrong there? Yeah. So long means buying and short means selling. Right. And, but if you're, yeah, if you're long an asset, usually it means you're buying the actual 
Bitcoin or a derivative of it and you're profiting on the way up, but you could be not, it doesn't always mean that you could be long puts like options. If you're long puts, that's bearish. If you're short puts, that's bullish. Definitely for another day, but long just means you're, you're bought, you're, you bought them and short means you're selling them. It doesn't matter what the underlying is. Cool. Cool. No. And like you said, there's definitely more questions for another day, but uh, definitely wanted to touch on what it means to short a stock or to short Bitcoin. And, you know, that was a great, uh, a great definition. So thanks for sharing that. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on. So recently in the news, we've seen that, you know, a couple different, you know, big exchanges, one, for example, Binance, another is uh, FTX. Now they just lowered um, their margin trading limits. And so I wanted to ask you about that. What is margin trading and uh, why is it a good or a bad thing to uh, lower the limits? So my understanding was the limits were 100 and 120 uh, X, and now they're going to be lowered to 20. So what's that mean and why is it good or bad? Yeah, so um, FTX announced they're lowering to 20 X and they were at 100X leverage and Binance was 125 times leverage and they are all new users are lowered to 20X as well. And so what that means is like a 20X leverage means for every $1, one Bitcoin of buying power, you have 20 Bitcoin or $20 of buying power. I'm using two different examples there. So what that means if you're on 5X leverage and you go long Bitcoin, if Bitcoin's price goes up 1%, your trade goes up 20% because you're 20 times exposed to it. So on the other side, if you use your whole account and go short Bitcoin and it drops 5%, well, 5% times 20 is 100. So you lose all 100% of your money if you're wrong. So uh, leveraging is straight gambling. 20X is still gambling. For me, I don't go over 5X leverage, which is still pretty, pretty strong. Um, 125x leverage is just unheard of. These are just, it's just because the the crypto world is not really regulated. So they have the power to, to offer that and degenerate gamblers like that. Like trading is a very speculative game. And so now that the like regulations in different countries are starting to crack down, FTX and Binance are being proactive about uh, trying to actually care about their customers and trade and being a little bit more preventive than in the past where they're just trying to get as many new users as they can by offering the best and biggest amount of leverage possible. But with right. a volatile asset like crypto, no need to use high leverage. And and for most of you watching, you should never touch leverage in your life. It, it's I barely use it in our hedge fund. Almost I, The last time I've made a leverage trade was over a year or in 2020. So it's been almost a year and that should go to show like we we did 312 percent last year with almost no leverage it's it's not needed unless no. you're a professional trader and you have a, a tight risk management setup thanks for that advice uh myself i do not trade uh margins or with leverage um either uh but yeah that's why i wanted to ask you about it because i know some people that may be new to this space or might catch uh, might catch a news report on TV. They're going to be hearing about some of that. So just wanted you to explain um, about it. And really, honestly, I wanted people to hear how risky it is and why it's uh, you know really not a good thing. 
and that, you know, showing that these two exchanges are, uh, you know, taking that initiative, showing that they care about, you know, more of their customers and future customers. So you're not just getting on there and uh, really pulling that, pulling that slot machine. But, yeah, uh, I wish I could say that was the reason they're doing it, but it's, it's no, no way that's why they're doing it. They're doing it because they know regulations come and cracking down and they're trying to be proactive, which I also respect. Finance got to where it was by flirting around regulation to get as much market share as possible. It clearly worked, but now they're they're risking being banned in multiple countries. They already are banned in the U.S. Finance.com at least, and um, yeah, lowering their their margin limits is a very smart move. And and like I said earlier, twenty even twenty x leverage is so. Like if you 20x the bottom of we were on the call last week until now, which is a like 25, 35% move, like that 35% move times that by 20, that's your return. It's hundreds of percent, maybe thousands. I mean, right. 25 times 30. Yeah, see this 750%. That's how much you would have made? You would you would have made 750%. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, so be careful. We can't be teaching people people about that, right? <laughs> I think you would have made. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, just to, uh, I mean, I guess I hear what you're saying there. It wasn't necessarily for the, uh, you know, out of their customers' goodwill, but just to uh, get ready for the uh, regulations that might be coming or for, you know, whatever they're going to have to uh turn over there in the future but while we're still talking here i wanted to ask you about it now some people in the space already will have an idea but some people new to it the word crypto isn't necessarily always used in certain parts of the space but there is um within bitcoin there is a what's called bitcoin maximalism i wanted to uh, ask you about that and uh you know why some new people to the space uh or you know people in it but maybe uh listening to different opinions why you need to, to uh, look out for that and uh just wanted to uh see if you could let us know a little bit about that yeah great question so i attended bitcoin 2021 conference in uh, june in miami and that was pretty close as it gets to a bitcoin maxi gathering all the people putting it together were are mainly Bitcoin maximalists, which the term, let's back it up. Crypto is a catch-all term for anything that uses blockchain technology, essentially. And Bitcoin is part of that. And a lot of people think Bitcoin is the truth in the future, which I believe it is too, for store of value, like, like digital gold. But I'm not close-minded to the fact that this technology is groundbreaking and just starting to show what its capabilities are. And so there are tons of other projects out there that aren't, aren't even made yet that will be solving all kinds of problems that aren't even related to store of value. And there are room for multiple coins out there. So being a Bitcoin maximalist, if in terms of like the best store of value, I fully support. But in terms of like the only crypto that will be successful, is is a weak argument and and i have a hard time trusting people who think that bitcoin is the only answer no matter how much it can scale on layer two or whatever it's designed to be a store of value it's not designed to run smart contracts all day and 
and do other things. And those other coins aren't designed to be a store value necessarily. So there's room for plenty in the space. It's not a winner take all scenario. And you should just be excited for this technology and help support the innovation along the way. No, I hear you. I think it's pretty interesting because when you really uh, engulf yourself into some of this uh, culture, you'll see that there is a bit of a libertarianism when it comes to like the original cypherpunks back in the day and cryptography and cryptocurrency in that regard. But when you see the, uh, you know, almost like a cult-like following in terms of some of the Bitcoin maximalism or the Bitcoin maxis, it's funny because the, the almost the exact thing that they're talking about getting away from it's, you know, creating in itself when it's, you know, Bitcoin or die in, in, in certain regards, because some people, you know, they think if it's not Bitcoin, then it's nothing. And, you know, by no means do I feel like that. And I know Austin doesn't either. So that's another reason why I wanted to ask this question and, you know, hear Austin's, uh, hear Austin's opinion about it. Jeff, you got to get Mosley on here for that because he definitely started as a Bitcoin maxi when I met him. And I think he's been warming up to, uh, to other coins, not necessarily to the point of investing, but realizing that there are other use cases for other coins. And to, to give them credit, everyone goes through these stages as you're learning crypto and like you read the Bitcoin standard and you're like, all right, Bitcoin or die, it's the best thing ever. And then you gotta just keep your mind open and listen to trusted sources and, and realize the risk reward of thinking this thing can, can succeed is is not zero. And so you shouldn't rule it out. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, I definitely keep a lot of diversification and I've been dabbling in uh, a couple different projects. I've been doing more to learn on um, the Solano network as well. You know, that's a new DeFi network. We're going to have somebody uh, who is completely, um, you know, engulfed within that community come on the show too. Another one is, uh, you know, Ethereum. I think some of these Bitcoin maxis that might start in Bitcoin, when you get on the Ethereum blockchain and see uh, some of the platforms that are already built on there and some of the services or just how fun some of this like new complete economy is in uh, decentralized networks and, uh, and really new internet, it's, uh, it's really interesting. So I encourage everyone to uh, do some research, get on there and find out about it. People are like, oh, what's a, it's a cryptocurrency. Like there are places where it's a currency and it's really cool. So, um, you know, that being said, Austin wanted to ask you too. So within this, uh, you know, crypto universe, you know, you will uh, hear the term shitcoin used. And uh, you know, I wanted to bring that up because for example, a Bitcoin maxi would say Ethereum is a shitcoin, which obviously is not the case, but you know, there are probably some very, uh, shitty coins out there. For example, I always see some girl tweeting about ass coin. So uh, I'm not going to buy any ass coin, but uh, also I wanted to ask you about, so what's a shit coin, man? Yeah. So each person has their own definition of a shit coin. For me, it's pretty strict. Like almost every coin's a shit coin besides like a handful of coins here. But in general, the true shit coins are like what you talked about and like come rocket and all these fake doge coins it's just like clearly if you look up the coin and you can't find who the team is or their coin white paper their metric coin metrics that's a screaming flag that this is just the pump and dump scam but the way i i consider everything a shit coin until proven non-shitty and 
for me, Bitcoin, Ethereum has passed the test and BNB has passed the test. These coins have survived bear markets. They have insanely great leadership at the top. Their founders are haven't left for the most part and they're solving an actual problem with utility. The adoption is there. So yeah, that's, a, that's what I look for. So Jeff and I in our hedge fund, the, the four things we look for are utility, team, coin metrics, and adoption. Those are the four pillars we look for in any coin. And they all need to line up for it to be not considered a shit coin. And like I said, BNB, Ethereum, Bitcoin are pretty much the three so far that have proven the test of time and actual have utility and are led by great teams and, and really smart people. So we've talked, uh, you know, obviously a lot about Bitcoin. Um, we're going to hear a lot about Ethereum. Um, I've uh, learned a lot of cool little platforms on there. One is called a uh, poly market, uh, which is actually, um, you know, a layer of Ethereum where it's built on the, uh, Matic, um, the Matic platform. Another is called Zed run. It's a, a digital horse racing where you race NFTs. But uh, so Austin, I wanted to ask you, you said BNB. So I know BNB is uh, the Binance uh, token. So why is that a, a good coin? You know, just for example, it sounds like we got our first three stashes. We're going to stash Bitcoin. We're going to stash Ethereum. We're going to stash BNB. I'm stashing all three of those. But so Austin, just to uh, talk about BNB a little bit. Yeah, so BNB is what really kind of jumped it just took my whole life to another level. I did my homework on and it fell in love with it pretty much went all in at like under $5 a coin. It's trading at 300. Now it, it was up to 700 a couple of weeks ago. I, I remember but that. That's just price. Yeah. So BNB is Binance's coin. Binance is the biggest exchange in the world. So first of all, let's go on what I said. Let's start with team though. CZ is the CEO of Binance. He's a proven leader and the way he grows and delegates and lets his company make their own choices and listen to their customers, it uh, sells itself. No need to even go too deep into there. If anything, that's a one negative. If we lose CZ, I don't know what happens with Binance in terms of leadership. Right. But the other part is, the, okay, utility. Binance is utility. So they started as an exchange token, meaning if you use BNB on the exchange to pay your fees, you get a discounted trading fees. So that's your utility. Then also you have to hold a certain amount to get to a different tiers, which lets you get higher discount rates. So that's the second utility. You're, it's not staking, but you're kind of holding it to do that. And right. then Binance came out with um, a launch pad where you can create your own coin. And it's like an IEO initial exchange offering where you're it's like an ICO or IPO, but it's it's on an exchange and you Binance has a lottery and the more BNB coins you hold, the more higher your lottery chances of, of being able to participate in that. That's another utility case. And then Binance Smart Chain came along to compete with like Ethereum and you use BNB as gas fees, just like you use ETH for gas fees right. on, on um, the ETH network. So it's, it's growing its use cases all the time, which is incredible. And then the fourth... Well, the adoption's already there, but the fourth is the coin metrics. BNB was launched with 200 million total coins, and they're going to be—they're constantly burning them every quarter until it gets down to 100 million. So I think there's been over 30 million burned. There's so around 170 million left, and what they do is they take 20% of their profits each quarter as an exchange, and they burn those coins. 
And so it's actually a fully deflationary model where Bitcoin's still inflating like percent or two a year until 2140 when all 21 million will be released versus BNB is getting more and more scarce like by the day. And it's, it's taken the lead, it's been in the lead. It's the, I think it's the most friendly uh, interface for ex like exchanges and they're constantly growing. Literally every day is insanely new news that, of things that they're up to. So I couldn't be more bullish on BNB. I, I don't have any plans to sell any of it anytime soon. It's BNB. great to hear. We're stashing that one. We're stashing BNB on the Binance.us network. You can uh, check the show notes um, and we will have a, uh, I'll have a link on there that will take you to it. If you want to check it out, you know, by no means is any of this financial advice, but again, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun to learn and uh, we highly recommend doing your own research and uh, getting out there and learning. So check those show notes for some of these links. Now, also, I wanted to ask you, so we talked about BNB on the Binance exchange and, you know, Binance is a trading exchange. So the Voyager token, VGX on the Voyager exchange. Now Voyager is a little bit different. Um, you can trade on there, but it is a, a lender, right? It's a lending platform, yeah. So they, what they do is they encourage you to hold your coins on there and they pay you an interest rate. And the way they, they make their money to pay it is from like trade, like if you trade on Voyager's app, they have a horrible spreads where you're getting ripped off. I do not recommend trading on there. But that's how they make their money to pay interest to their to their clients. Their VGX token is an exchange token. It doesn't have the Binance smart contract like Binance has, but it does have a, a little bit of utility, such as. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin must be climbing the mountain right now. We're getting some some notifications. No. <laughs> no, we're just Probably getting a little dings there. Tell me to restart that. Oh, you're good. Yeah, so Voyager, the VGX token is Voyager's exchange token. I think it started by them acquiring a company or two and they're combining them together. The coin swap is like August 8th or 9th. And the utility that VGX provides is the more, if you hold X amount of VGX coins, you get an interest boost on your lending. So that provides value. They're coming out with other loyalty programs with it, like, but it, it really is strictly an exchange token, meaning you get better fees and rates within that ecosystem by holding more of their coin. They are, I follow Voyager very closely and because we hold a lot of assets on there, I wanna make sure they're being a good company on their end. And they do have the goal of making more and more utility use cases for VGX coin over time. Mm -hmm. And I do think it has potential, but it's still not a proven long-term successful coin. I mean, it's down huge since its highs, but it is up huge since its lows like a year ago. Right. Um, definitely a speculation play still. Yeah. Definitely very speculative, but just wanted to hear a little bit about it. One, because I actually obviously hold a lot of it, but uh, you know, I hold it for its use case as far as I get the 7% interest and then it also increases my Bitcoin and Ethereum interest as well. But I wanted to ask you about it because I always think of, you know, the uh, BNB token 
it being worth right now in the 300s, the Voyager token being around $2. So sometimes I just want to cross my fingers and say my prayers. So hopefully one day it, uh, it makes some magic happen and uh, it all works out. But again, very speculative. I guess we're going to pass it for now. It, it's not a bad buy down here under $2. Its market cap is $440 million. To put it in perspective, BNBs is $50 billion. Ethereum is $262 billion. So I think, I think Binance Smart Chain is a better Ethereum and it's over five times cheaper than Ethereum. So don't sleep on BNB, but Voyager, Voyager has a lot of upside based on market cap, but it, it needs to do a little more proving to uh, see why, why it's worth holding. For me, I, I could give it one good reason, but it's only if you own over like $100,000 worth of coins on Voyager, then it makes sense to really hold for that boost or it's a no brainer. But outside of that, there, to me, there's, a lot of hope and i'm hoping they deliver i haven't given up i'm a i'm a big supporter in voyager and i'm close with the team they treat me very nice because of my size and the fund and uh, i do want to be a good cheerleader for them but they need to start performing i'm not i'm not loyal to you unless you you got the stats to back it up Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm definitely a big cheerleader for him as well. Don't have the same high stakes, but I'm with you there. They need to start performing, but I have already wheeled the gas in. You know, I know a handful of dentists and uh, I got it cranked up and I'm going full on hopium, baby. And uh, I'm hoping that that token takes off. So uh, those are two, uh, two of the ones that I wanted to talk about a little bit. But um, again, we're stashing Ethereum, we're stashing Bitcoin, but we're double stash and BNB. So go check that one out. And again, remember in the show notes, I'll also have a link to a uh, Voyager um, as well. So with both of these links, um, you know, you're going to get some, uh, some free Bitcoin, some free, uh, some free crypto and whatnot um, that the uh, apps themselves provide. But uh, Austin, thank you again so much. This is uh, this has been the second week of the weather report. This is Austin Barnard. He is our weatherman, co-founder at Orca Capital. Uh, Austin, before we take off here, um, you know, we might miss you here for a week or two. Uh, where are you headed? Uh, I know it sounded pretty cool when you told me about it earlier. Well, I think I might be able to make next week. I'll, I'll be in Chicago. But yeah, then after that, headed to Africa to bond with some animals. I'm It's... I enjoy traveling and I don't think there's another trip in my life I've been more excited for. So can't wait for, for that. And maybe we could squeeze in a uh, podcast while, while I'm out there. Yeah. And just to give you a little sneak peek, we're going to try and get that, uh, get that live on the air. Austin sent me a link of where he's staying. One of these places, there's literally elephants. Um, they're staying like in a, uh, in a national park in, um, in one of the countries in Africa and the elephants can just walk up and, uh, you know, drink water out of, out of your pool. So hopefully when we're on the podcast, we get to, uh, to meet one of these, uh, guys or gals and, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And another thing I told this guy, I would ask him cause I asked him off air, you know, Austin has been uh, trading now for uh, over 15 years, but I wanted to ask him, you know, as we know, crypto is 24 7, 365, just like the weather. But awesome. What is your favorite time zone to trade in as you are a world traveler? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I enjoyed uh, being asked that question. So my background is stocks in the stock market. So that's LA time, 6.30 to one, New York time, 9.30 to four. My favorite time to trade stocks or traditional markets is, is actually Europe, European time. I think it's like, it starts early afternoon and the market closes at like 10 p.m. So that's a pretty a pretty fun try, time to trade uh, traditional markets. For crypto, I actually enjoy traveling the world and doing this because the markets are never closed and you're, you're getting experience like kind of how, when you stare at the charts long enough, you see different patterns and like different types of investors trade differently. And, and like how it traditionally works is there's three major markets. There's the Western market, us, and then when we're going to bed, the Asian market's waking up. And so then Asia trades all day. And a lot of times Asia will see, oh, how do the, when they wake up, oh, how are the, the Western markets? Like, do they follow the trend or do they, something else going on on their, on their end? So then the Asian markets go. And then after the Asian markets, it's the European markets. And then it's back to us. So there's three major, and to put also, Asia is probably the biggest crypto of the three um, in the world. Like, Asia is very te pro-tech and has always been deep in, um, in crypto, especially like even the mining in, in China and all, like, yeah, all the devs living in Hong Kong and Singapore and, and all the, the businesses starting out of there. But yeah, so the cool thing with crypto is it doesn't really matter where you are. You're, the market's always open, the charts are always moving and it actually just encourages risk management. So I'm a fan of it. I enjoy the luxury of being able to work from wherever I want, whenever I want. Lucky to be part of this uh, so from so early on and just really can't, can't complain, man. And we're lucky to have you. Again, uh, this is the weather report, and this is our weatherman on Stash or Passive podcast. So uh, we'll be tapping or uh, coming in live from Chicago uh, next week with Austin, and we'll follow up on a few things of what's going on in the market and uh, keep you up to date on any big stories uh, like we did this week with uh, the Bitcoin conference. But, you know, again, our first week we spoke with Austin, Bitcoin was at 29. This week we're speaking with Austin, it's at 38. We'll see what it is next time uh, when we get together. But Austin, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week, my friend. If we could add 9,000 every time we talk, I will get on these every single day that you want me, my man. Absolutely. Talk to you next week. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll make it happen here at Stash It or Pass It. And if you're going to pass it, you can pass it to me. Sell me your cheap Bitcoin. Thank you. What's good, Stash Adams? What's up, baby? Stash that. That's right, baby. Hey, we're sitting here, and this is going to be a part of our culture report. You know, as you saw last week, uh, we did little little teasers here and there about different things that we're going to talk about. And, uh, you know, one of those we just wanted to uh, really get into right now. You know, I know we uh, did a bit of a teaser. We had some uh, news reporters reaching out to us and whatnot. And I know, you know, Mike will get into it. He's had lots of uh, different people reaching out to him. But, you know, recently you saw with uh, the NCAA and a new uh, NIL deal for uh, athletes, you know, basically where, you know, they're allowed to uh, profit off the likeness of their name, you know, something that, you know, we were never allowed to do. And it was always a very uh, wishy-washy uh, kind of blanket rule where, you know, no real uh, 
credibility was uh, kind of given to it or, you know, what really the restrictions were and what they weren't. Um, but uh, long story short, you know, just wanted to uh, kind of frame that. But, uh, you know, Terrell, uh, one of our one of our teammates we played with, put a statement out, you know, calling for the 2010 team, uh, which is part of, you know, the end of uh, Coach Tressel's uh, coaching career in the Tressel era to uh, get our wins back for that year. So, you know, we were 12 and one, you know, one of the best Ohio State teams of all time, you know, won the uh, 2011 Sugar Bowl. And um, anyways, I'll let Mike get into it, but uh, that's basically, you know, where we're at with this. And uh, Mike, I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say about it. Yeah, so basically, if you read the statement, you know, it's all about that 2010-2011 team. Um, Sugar Bowl champs, we got a top five all-time career passer on there, top five all-time career receiver in there, Devere Posey. We got a top 10 all-time running back in school history in Boom Heron. And then we've got uh, an offensive tackle myself here who made uh, a couple different All-American lists two years. Never got a Buckeye tree or anything like that. Probably the only person to make a list in school history and get no trees. So I don't know. It is what it is. We kind of uh, are here looking for a little reconciliation, just not not just for us, but for our whole team, our coach. Talk about a Hall of Fame coach and, you know, a roster of 106 guys who put their heart and soul in every day and got after it. Um, you know, for us, it was – you know, it was some things that we got in trouble for, for actions we took our freshman year, um, you know, not even the same year. So a couple of years later, uh, you know, and if you've ever heard any of us talk about it, uh, which we don't often publicly, at least, but, you know, like when we were freshmen, the rules with, you know, memorabilia and things like that were kind of wishy-washy. It wasn't really like a known thing. No one knew you couldn't sell your own jersey or pants or whatever you know um so that was kind of a, like you know the way I think of it is like so then would they have gotten mad if someone like you know gave their jersey to a bw3s in town or something like that you know yeah. and, like, and how is that fair because then does that bw3s get more people in on game days and all those things because they've got all this cool stuff you know I don't know um but you know, not to get too much into all the details of it, just more of like the idea of the NCAA being this um, judge, jury, executioner, you know, um, you know, holding so much power over these kids' lives and taking advantage of people and kids and, um, you know, just trying to make examples out of guys to assert authority. Um, you know, I think when you look into the NCAA and their track record and, you know, what kind of happens in these situations, like even as, uh, as recent as I think just today, Reggie Bush put a video out um, on Instagram talking about how the NCAA denied his right to reinstate uh, his Heisman and all of the school records and all that, um, you know, basically standing by their stance that he was wrong and all of this and that even with the rule changes, it doesn't matter. Um, but at the same time, the scapegoat they used in that case was his running back coach, um, his first name, last name McNair. Um, and they basically said that he was the person, um, a lot like they did with Coach Tressel in our situation. They said he was the person, he knew what was going on and put all the blame on him. Man lost his job. He had a family to support, all that, and was out there jobless. Um, so now 10 years later, the NCAA has now settled out of court with that man in a civil suit 
for $8 million. So basically, you know, here's $8 million. We were wrong. Um, we, you know, whatever it is, here's your money. We're sorry, you know, well wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't understand how quite you could settle for $8 million and then still tell Reggie Bush that he can't be reinstated. And then, you know, the same things when you go back and you look at like the Penn State Jerry Sandusky case and things like that, you know, what did they do? They found out Joe Paul knew what happened via emails and all that. And, you know, we're talking about something way worse than selling memorabilia here. Let's, you know, right. keep it clear. Um, you know, they took Joe Paul's wins, I think a hundred and some of them or something like that. And then in a civil court, uh, Penn State, you know, sued the state of Pennsylvania or the NCAA. I forget exactly who it was, but they ended up getting all of his wins reinstated and all of that. So I don't understand, like, what what the deal is with the NCAA where you could reinstate wins for someone who knowingly allowed kids to be molested, sexually assaulted on program grounds in the locker rooms, in the showers, you know, you can reinstate wins for that, but you don't reinstate the wins for guys who went out there and just tried to make a little money for themselves who come from marginalized backgrounds who don't have financial literacy, whose families don't come from money, who probably couldn't, you know, pay to eat off campus, you know, things like that. I mean, you think about when we were in college, JB and I were roommates, you know, there was plenty of days where, you know, we'd have the conversation like, look, man, I overdrafted yesterday. Like, bro, I don't have any money. Like, you if we want to eat a two for 20 for Applebee's today, you got to buy that. If we want to buy a 20 sack and smoke a little weed because we're sore as hell after practice, our heads are ringing and we can't get right. To, and and we got eight hours of studying to do. Right. Sorry, bro. You got to overdraft today. Like what? what's the deal when, you know, we're walking around campus and there's a new skyscraper, a new, you know, 30, $40 million building going up here, another one here. And you got these athletes who are making all that money walking around hungry, literally, figuratively all the way around. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. The NCAA doesn't get it. I don't think they understand what they're doing. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a sad thing all the way around. And I'm glad to see rules changing. And, you know, I'm excited to see what the future holds for these kids. Uh, I think the ball's just getting rolling and keep it on going, baby. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an exciting ball to, uh, you know, start to see the roll there. But um, yeah, I mean, I just don't understand because, basically with the NIL agreement, you know, allowing these guys now to sign different contracts, to different brands and make money, all that, um, you know, that's basically the NCAA admitting that they were wrong about it. So what's the big deal with going back and just reinstating, you know, different cases where right you know, these wrong. rules were just enacted in a very, you know, tyrannical way, honestly. So I'm excited with what's happening. I think also uh, something that, you know, I, uh, I was tweeting about and everything with um, with these new rules. I think you'll start to see a lot more like four and five star caliber players stay in some of their uh, home cities and states, especially like bigger cities. So I know like SMU, for example, they signed like two four star guys, like their two biggest recruits ever, like back to back. And now they got all these new jerseys coming out and everything like that. So I think that would be really cool, too. So that I think that's a great thing for the uh, just the sport competition in general and just legacies and 
you know, guys not having to travel like across the country. Cause sometimes too, like, you know, that can really mess you up mentally and taking oh, yeah. guys out of there, you know, not necessarily. I mean, I think it's good to get you out of your comfort zone if you still have like the right kind of support, but some guys can get, you know, plopped down and guys place. need to get away. Yeah. Right. Some guys yeah. definitely need to get away. And I think some guys too could, you know, stay places where they have like good support, you know? So. Absolutely. And you know, what goes with that too, um, something that's really overlooked and has always been overlooked. It's kind of just, you know, how things go around here, but uh, the opportunity that the NIL change has to impact HBCUs and getting black players to go to those historically black colleges. And oh, universities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think Dion was talking about it, yep. um, but you know, it's like, these schools, like the schools like the Alabamas and um, the Ohio States and all of these schools, you know, before they were integrated, why are they so much bigger than HBCUs? Why do they have mm-hmm. more funding? Why is all this? Because they're, you know, white schools, you know, before everything was integrated, before sports were integrated and all of those things, you know, they just had so much more power because of, you know, how everything's gone with the establishment and, um, you know, post Jim Crow and black people were trying to start, you know, businesses and their own cities and towns and, you know, all of those things like, right. uh, you know, the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacres and things like that. Um, and when you look into it, yeah, it's like these HBCUs never stand a chance because why is someone going to go somewhere where they have a fifth of the resources of an Ohio state or an Alabama, you know, when they're a five-star recruit. So I think it just kind of evens the playing field because one thing about these schools, like some might have more, but at this point, all of these schools have an alumni, someone in the alumni network who has enough money to really help and to get players to go there um, and to really incentivize these players. So just like you were saying, there's all these small D1 schools, D2 schools, HBCUs who are for the first time landing four or five, you know, even three stars. Three stars, yeah. And it's it's a complete game changer for them. And, you know, game changer for them, game changer for the kids. As a black as a black athlete myself, um, I know that when I was in school, there was like a weird thing, you know, like when the black players want to study African-American studies and things like that. You know, right. everybody looked at him like, oh, you just want to study that because it's like a fake major, blah, blah, blah. You, right. you, know, you pass easy and you're eligible. You know what I mean? Which, like, think about how ignorant that is just because someone wants to learn about their history, which isn't taught in any schools around. Exactly. When right? you have to get to college to have a chance to really learn. Exactly. Which is even, you know, when you really think yeah. about it. So, you know, like me as a black player and just knowing how that was, man, if I had a chance to go to an HBCU school where I could be around my peers and learn about my culture and, um, on a different level, you know, right. I mean, to really absorb all that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what I would do, you know? Right. So just for those kids that have that opportunity, um, I know for us, like it means a lot more than just football and making money. I think it, it's an opportunity um, for guys to have an even playing field, not only in football, but in life and to get to learn and to have a good little head start. You know, you're not just getting out of college with a bunch of debt now. Right. out of college with a cushion with a head start with real networking opportunities so right especially if you don't go pro yeah you know? which is what 90 percent right. you know like yeah right 99 99 yeah. or you know just even t- being able to take advantage of 
some hype and trending ability around you and your name. Like say, you know, one season where we're doing really good and the offensive line's getting a bunch of pub and then you can just profit off of that on the spot. Like absolutely lady mo momentum. You know, yeah. I mean it's like when you get that ball rolling. I mean, if you're an 18 year old kid who's an offensive lineman and you know you get no shine, nobody wants to sign <laughs> you for this deal or that deal, whatever. Right. You could at least now you could go make a trendy T-shirt with your gut hanging out or something and have right. you sell it outside the stadium. Like, you know what I mean? Like that back in the day will get you get your ass thrown out for a year. Right. You, know? you can get sponsored. I see everyone's been getting sponsored by Canes. You get sponsored Canes, by Canes or probably, I mean B-Dubs will be sponsored. Now they have uh, the Barstool athletes. I know uh, my little brother, he uh, applied to be a Barstool athlete. So I don't know if he is or if he isn't, what that even means, but – it's funny. <laughs> Love that. Barstool, check him out. Bo Shugart. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, man, that was uh, that was great. I really enjoyed hearing a lot of that. You know, again, that was, uh, you know, a little bit more what you can expect, um, you know, here on the Culture Report on uh, Stash It or Pass It. You know, we got uh, plenty of other topics coming up, and uh, we'll talk about this plenty more. But, uh, again, Mike, thanks for uh, sharing that with us. And I'm here with Dr. B, a.k.a. Reed Brimmer. He's coming in with the uh, traffic report. You know, that's going to be our weekly cannabis report. Just to give a little recap, last week, Reed really, uh, you know, gave us some great opinions. He blessed us with some knowledge. You know, he let us know what the, uh, the definition of the traditional market is, which, you know, typically you'll hear is called the black market. But just to pay respect to you know, those that have been blazing a trail before us uh, within this industry, um, which is still a very new industry, right? We're at the uh, really the early adapter stage, you know, of that bell curve. So uh, again, Reed, thanks for being here with us. Uh, just wanted to uh, let everyone know as well, you know, strain of the week for myself is uh, some OG Kush that I picked up. Um, you know, it's really, uh, it's really doing its job. You know, it's a hybrid, very earthy, um, but, uh, you know, it's been a great friend of mine. So just wanted to let you know that coming in about the, uh, cannabis with the traffic report. So, uh, without further ado, Reed, you know, the captain has uh, turned off the fastened seatbelt sign. We're cruising at a nice altitude at about 30,000 feet. I'm walking about the cabin. I'm trying not to hit my head. I'm on my way to the bathroom, but you know, from 30,000 feet, big picture, how are we looking in the industry this week, my friend? Oh man, not much has changed uh, as far as the the legislation we talked about last week. Uh, we will get into that, and we'll break down um, some of the the things that are in that legislation, um, and and how you can you know get your opinion in there. Um, and then we'll talk about some stuff going on in Illinois, which is a, a rec market that's growing like crazy right now. Um, and let me, we'll start off by, uh, I'll show you what I'm smoking on right now. Yeah. Got, what what got, you got there, my friend? Got the cloud racer. Okay. ZLA. Um, that's my friends did a little collab with this company clay nine out of LA. Um, this is their, their strain. And, uh, I was smoking on some of that down in Hocking Hills yesterday. Very um, nice. I got my, my meat breath. Little meat breath. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, just a couple questions that's there. Cute. So, Hazy LA that, uh, you know, Reed was telling us about a story last week, you know, he was out in LA, um, actually a couple Ohio, uh, 
girls and gals that uh, started a, uh, a cannabis marketing company out in LA. Uh, Reed got to go out there and, uh, you know, really cool event. But, um, you know, so that is one of their uh, cannabis brands there that they're working with that he's smoking on some meat breath. Uh, but I wanted to ask, so what is Hawking Hills? And uh, tell us a little bit about that meat breath. Yeah, so this this is actually the Cloud Racer. Okay. Hazy, Hazy did a collab with Clay 9. That's what I took down to Okay. Hawking Hills. Okay. Um, Cloud Racer is a strain. And then the meat breath is what I've been smoking today. So yesterday so, I was down at Hawking Hills. Okay. Uh, beautiful little down in the foothills of Appalachia in Ohio, um, about an hour from Columbus. Got some beautiful hiking trails down there, some caves, some caverns, some waterfalls, all that kind of stuff. So uh, me and my best friend went down there and had ourselves a little day. Uh, the meat breath that I'm smoking today is actually out of Michigan. Okay. Um, and that's some, some super gas. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what we're, uh, we're out in Michigan. You get it from a, um, you know, one of the local grows out there, you know, yeah, it's a, a guy that's, um, grows on the medical side up there. Because um, how does it how does it work in Michigan? I know the there are rec, you know, it's you legal, but it's their yeah, laws so it's, are a it's rec there now. But uh, they have they they're they were one of the earlier states to have a, a medical program up there, and it was just a caregiver giver program. So if you had a license to to smoke cannabis, um, there are these people that applied and could literally pretty much just grow at home um, to supply as caregivers. Right, um, you could pass on your right to them to to. You could grow maybe eight to 12 plants, I think, if you were a patient up there. Um, okay. And you could pass on your right to, to them to grow your plant, uh, your allotted number of plants for you. Um, so up there, they still do have a lot of these uh, medical guys that are kind of grandfathered in. Um, and then now they've gone wreck, obviously, in the last couple of years. Um, and those are, you know, mainly more more bigger companies and stuff like that. And they, they were struggling the first year, just like most uh programs do um but they're starting to get it rolling up there um and one of their companies actually just went uh public on the toronto stock exchange uh gauge is the name of that company gauge what is the symbol g-a-g-e yes g-a-g-e um not gonna be able to find it on robin hood right uh, yeah i think it's g-a-g-e um but yeah not not gonna be able to find it on robin hood but uh you can buy it on Fidelity, Schwab, stuff like that. It'd be like um, an OTC stock or what? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just like, like a Voyager, um, Voyager digital, um, for, you know, our, uh, our weather report when we were yeah, talking about that. Pink slip. Yep. Cool. Um, but yeah, so I remember, uh, at one point, was it in Detroit where you were going to the, uh, the cannabis cup? Yeah. Um, I went up to a few high times events up in Detroit. Um, Ooh. and that was all, that was what it was. Uh, yeah, that was after they'd passed the legislation, but for recreational, but it had not gone into effect yet. Um, so it was all just medical brands and stuff right. up there. It was, but yeah, it was kind of just free for all. Yeah. Good times though. Yeah. Well that, uh, you know, that kind of leads us into uh, what we're talking about today. I mean, for example, we just gave, uh, you know, Michigan with, you know, their own laws that, you know, have developed, you know, over the years, uh, Illinois, the same with their laws. And uh, so that's what we're going to have Reed. You know, he's going to be following this for us, but just some updates on the legislation uh, to see where those things are going. And, you know, I mean, typically this might be a hard thing to pass. So we'd also like to hear some good things that we would probably want to see in, uh, you know, a federal legislation. Cause, yeah. you know, I know, for example, 
one thing that's been really hard for people is, you know, how the banking system around it all works and, you know, handling that much cash and all that. So, uh, you know, Reed, you know, give us those updates and uh, take it away, my friend. Yeah. So uh, the legislation put forth by um, uh, Cory Booker and Chuck Schumer, it's called the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act. Um, and it's still in its first draft. Um, I think there's public commenting on there until September 1st, I think. Um, so if you want to hop on the uh, government's website and you can give your opinion on it and then they'll, they'll close the comments down and go through them all and whatnot. Um, that's one thing a lot of people don't know you can do on most, most uh, bureaucratic rulemakings in the U.S., um, they have a commenting period where you can go online and give your opinion and um, they do they do with this bill also. So they're just trying to get, see what people really want in the legislation. Um, do you but, find that, um, you know, find that link for us and I will make sure it gets in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You promise. Oh, I got you. All right. Hey, you got to get it to me. You got to get it. We're, we're a semi live. Semi live. It's July 29th, 401 PM. This will be published by 6 AM tomorrow morning. So read, I need yeah, I got for the show notes. All right, keep going, my friend. Um, yeah, so back to the legislation, though. Um, in the in the legislation put forth by uh, Booker and Schumer, they're talking, um, they're going to deschedule cannabis, um, which would open it up for, uh, you know, to be researched by right. institutions and stuff like that, which is a, a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, and then they're, they're, there's going to be something in there that will uh, expunge records uh, for people that have nonviolent marijuana charges. We need that. Um, so we'll see how that, that gets worked out. Um, they're going to incorporate some type of a federal tax on it all. Um, and there are rumors that it might be as high as 25%, which we talked about last week. Um, right. I think uh, that's pushing it quite a bit considering uh, a lot of states have pretty well formed uh, markets now. Uh, where they've got you know local taxes, state taxes that are already pretty high, um, coming in and throwing on that twenty five percent is pretty aggressive, and I don't know if that's the best thing to do uh, when you're trying to encourage people to move into the the legal market. Um, and then the other thing it would do is uh, pass uh, enforcement of it uh, from the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, over to the FDA and ATF. Um, so they would be the ones, you know. That's where they would pass it over to. Yeah, the DA, DA wouldn't be in charge of. I mean that 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 would definitely be pretty good because I know uh, I know here this week the DEA been been getting their hands into a little things that'd be kind of questionable use oh, of yeah. tax dollars. Yeah, we were talking about that. They had a uh, there's a cannabis trade show out in uh, a cannabis trade show right yeah, in Vegas this week where it is it's we're, legal in Nevada a fully right. rec um, and the DEA raided it. Um, and they were arresting people that had not, not T not THC products, Delta eight. Um, yeah. And this was a CBD. Uh, yes. Yeah, it was mainly CBD, but it might've had some cannabis companies there too. Right. But, uh, but yeah. Um, it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I think it's a, I, I don't know. I don't feel like most people would be in favor of our tax dollars going towards raids like that, but right. You know, it is what it is. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, one other thing I'm kind of, I've been following is, uh, the safe banking act, which it's passed the house a couple of times already. Right. Um, then it meets, meets resistance in the Senate. Um, 
But the Safe Banking Act is very critical. Um, and if you follow uh, cannabis stocks, particular, particularly um, American pot stocks, um, that's a pretty big deal because um, it would it would allow banks to to lend and work with cannabis companies without the threat of the Fed stepping in and punishing them. Um, so that would eventually lead to uh, the first uh, American companies being able to uplist onto you know the Nasdaq, New York Stock Exchange, whatever it is. Um, right. So so I, I think it was 2018. A bunch of the the Canadian companies. Um, went on the, the New York Stock Exchange and a lot of people, there's confusion there because um, the, the companies that went on there, a lot of people just assume they're American, um, even though they're Canadian and they were able to go on there because it's, it's federally legal in Canada. Right. Um, so the American companies, even though in the Canadian companies, they can't export anything to America right now. Um, so right. these companies aren't really even, none of them are profitable at this point um, because America is by far uh, the largest uh, cannabis consumer in the world and the largest market for it. Um, so these Canadian companies have kind of been struggling and just waiting for that day when they can start to move into America. Um, meanwhile, the American companies uh, here, there's, there's a couple big ones and they, they're called MSOs or multi-state operators, which means they have licenses to grow and have dispensaries in uh, more than one state. Uh, but there's plenty of those that are, are profitable already, despite insanely high taxes, just because of the fact that cannabis is still federally illegal. Um, so there'll, there'll come a day when those companies can uplist and you'll be able to buy them on Robinhood. And, right. And you know, these uh, are, uh, but these companies now, though, um, the American ones, I could get these on Fidelity, Charles Schwab. Yeah, yeah they're just traded over the counter. Um, what, uh, what are their names and uh, what are their symbols? Um, Green Thumbs, a really big one. Um, as I think their ticker is a GT, GTBIF, um, and they're based out of Chicago. Um, they've, they do a really good job, and they do, they do a lot with social equity also, which I think is kind of cool. Um, they're one of the companies that's kind of on the forefront for that. Um, and, yeah, they're based out of Illinois. Uh, Cresco is another big one um, based out of Illinois, um, and they do – they have dispensaries that they operate as well as their wholesalers. Um, so like in Ohio, for example, they have, uh, they might have one or two dispensaries here, but they can also wholesale their product. They have, they have grows where they can wholesale to other dispensaries. What's their, um, uh, what's their symbol? Um, and that one is CRLBF, I think. CRLBF. Um, CRLBF. That's a weird. And that's Cresco. It's called Cresco Labs. Um, oh, okay. Cresco Labs. Yep. So that's where the L probably comes from. And then uh, you've got TrueLeave, which is a, a company based out of Florida. We're just going to go over the big four right now. Um, yep. TrueLeave is, 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 is what they're called. They're the big four multi-state operators. Um, TrueLeave is based out of Florida. Um, I think they're in a few spots in the East Coast. Um West Virginia, they're moving into for their medical program, um, but they dominate Florida. Maybe I think that I want to say like 80% of the market share um, oh, wow. for the medical market down in Florida. Um, so they're pretty dominant down there. And obviously, Florida is a, a big market when that does go wreck. You got a lot of tourism down there. And, right. our, you know, it's a very popular state. So yeah, I mean, um, you have the tourism and you kind of got uh, people that, leave different parts of the country and go there seasonally as well yeah, and just so, live there. yeah so it's Especially like hey, older people too and and right 
you know, trend, it is trending that uh, more older people are experimenting with uh, cannabis now and getting into it. So absolutely uh, true leave. And then uh, what what's was the last one? What's, uh, what's, uh, what's true leave symbol? Man, I, I think it's TRU. I, I don't, I'm not positive. Um, I'll, I'll send them to you though. And you can put the tickers up on the uh, show. Keep going. Now. I'll look it up here. Um, and then the last one is a uh, cure leaf. Um, and they're based out of New Jersey. Um, and, and there's a few other ones like uh, Columbia Cares based out of New York and that's their ticker CCHWF. Um, and New York, New York obviously just went wrecked. That's a pretty big market. Um, and you know, there's, there's, there's tons of other ones, but those are the, the, the big boys right now. Um, right. They've all got market caps in the, in the billions of dollars. Um, so the, yeah, those are, those are the ones that are, you know, already rocking and, you know, once shit does, things do go, um, wreck or federal legislation is passed. Those will be the first to uplist, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to, uh, just to hit those one more time, I'm looking up the, uh, the cure leaf stock symbol. Yeah. That's a C-U-R-A, I think. C-U-R-A. Yep. All right, cool. Yeah, so these, what he said, uh, the big four American cannabis companies uh, here, public companies on the stock exchange. We got Green Thumb, Symbol, GTBIF, Cresco Labs, Symbol, CRLBF, True Leave, Symbol, TCNNF, and Cure Leaf, Symbol, CURA. Um, again, none of this is financial advice. We are... Uh, just want to uh, educate more than anything and uh, encourage people to go out there and, uh, you know, do some research and, uh, you know, look some of these companies up and, you know, like Reed was saying, it's very uh, interesting to see how some of this has been playing out with it being such a new uh, market, you know, where I would say, obviously some of these are so very uh, speculative trades or uh, speculative investments, but um, like Reed yes, was saying, and especially some of the smaller ones. Right, right, exactly. So the that's are pretty well established. I don't think they're nearly as risky, but uh, right, you got there's probably fifty or so American companies that are are uh, traded over the counter up in Canada, um, where they have to go to Canada since it's federally legal there to be to be listed. Right. Um, but some a lot of them will move to American stock exchanges eventually. Um, pr- honestly, probably I would I would guess within the next three to four years, no matter what, maybe in a year, but you know, we'll wait and see how that goes. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we'll be here to follow it too at stash it or pass it, but you know, I'm excited, uh, excited to follow these and to keep up with these, but, um, you know, still that, that being said, these are, uh, much less risky investments. It's still extremely early in what is going to be, you know, potentially one of the biggest industries, if not the biggest, um, you know, when we're sitting back here and we're 60, 70, 80s or 80 years old. So yeah. You want me to throw some numbers around? Yeah. You want to throw some numbers? Yeah, yeah, I want to throw uh, some numbers around. I like math. Who likes math? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll talk market cap right now though. Um, okay. I think the combined global market cap of the alcohol industry is around uh, 2 trillion, you know, give or take a couple hundred billion. Um, and the, if you add in tobacco, um, it's around 3 trillion, um, right now, the combined market cap, if you're including all the American companies, all the Canadian companies, um, you're talking around 100 billion. Oh, wow. Um, so even if, you know, let's say cannabis ends up 
being, you know, a quarter of what alcohol is, you're still talking like global, you're still talking, you know, four or $500 billion industry. Um, right. That's how fast it'll happen. Um, and then another one that's interesting is uh, you, you can, the CAGR, which is compound annual growth rate. Um, there's estimates that vary, but uh, it seems like most of them around a 20%, 15 to 20% compound annual growth rate for the industry, um, which is pretty impressive. And that's, that's talking over the next six, seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, I think the next decade, decade is extremely promising. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, this isn't financial advice, but I'd be very surprised if, uh, you know, you're not talking double, triple um, the stock price for some of the big boys like Green Thumb and Cresco and that stuff. Yeah, Green Thumb's trading around 30 bucks a share right now. Um, True leaves around 35, 40. Um, so, you know, I think, I think in the next couple of years, some of those companies will be $100 stocks and you're talking uh, talking double and triple up on that. So, Absolutely. I mean, so right there we have it, a couple stash it's if, uh, if you will, we're stashing green thumb, yeah, we're, stashing, stashing we're stashing Cresco. green thumb. We're stashing Cresco Labs, we're stashing True Leave, and we're stashing Cura Leaf. Get on the old internet, hit the G double O G L E, look these up, and uh, you know, let's have some fun, ladies and gentlemen. Last week we talked about uh 710 versus uh 420 there a little bit, but uh which you know made me think um and I actually saw a couple things this week online that I was sharing with Reed um about uh you know, doing dabs um, and what actually a dab is. I thought Reed could get into that a little bit because, you know, it's definitely trendy these days to, uh, you know, blow these big smoke clouds and whatnot. But uh, for some of you out there that are doing dabs, there is a thing called a hot dab and uh, it's really, really bad for you. Yeah, you'll chaz your banger um, and destroy your lungs. Um, but yeah, we're so dabbing essentially is uh, they take cannabis um, they process it and extract the, the, the THC and cannabinoids and terpenes out of there, which is the, what gives it its smell or aroma. Um, and then you can take that. Um, normally it's like a, a, a sticky, you know, waxy consistency. Mm -hmm. um, and you can take that, uh, you heat up a, a quartz banger, or a, a, a nail or something um, that's hooked up to a dab rig and, uh, that's that's essentially up. like a uh, kind of like looks like a bond, but uh, yeah, you know, exactly. in the industry There's they're called rigs bond, because you know it's called oil and oil rigs. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, sorry yeah, to cut cut you off there. Um, but yeah, and then you you put it on there and um, it melts in there, and you inhale the uh, you inhale the smoke, um, and you get high. But uh, we were watching that we were watching a video of a girl that was uh, using not the cleanest looking device, almost covered in, in nasty looking resin. And um, it looked like she was heating it up to the maximum temperature and then putting the, the dab right on there. Um, and at that point you might be doing a dab that's, you know, a thousand degrees. Um, and there's no way in hell that's good for the old lungs. Um, there's actually research that shows that uh, smoking anything that hot is, uh, uh, you know, it turns it into carcinogen. Right. Um, so it can cause cancer, um, can, you know, give you asthma and lung problems. Um, 
And so, yeah, you definitely want to make sure if you're going to ever dab that you want to research what you're doing, do it properly, um, you know, and consume in the healthiest way. Right. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because uh, there's definitely a time in my life when, you know, this whole thing was still very new and people were ripping yeah. hot dabs all the time. And now with titanium nails and right destroying their lungs. And, and you know, that the, when we, we were kind of the first generation where this is a, this was a way to consume uh, cannabis uh, dabbing and concentrates and stuff. Uh, you know, it's something our, our, our old men are not familiar with, um, you know, and a lot of older people are not, um, and it scares them at first. And it actually, I think it can be, uh, you know, maybe a little healthier than smoking a full joint. Cause there's generally not plant matter left behind in it when you, when you do the extraction. Right. Um, so it's a, a little bit healthier as long as you're doing it at a, at a, at a low temperature. Um, so it's, it's when you start doing it at a high temperature and, and when you're doing, when you're, what you're smoking is not quality, you know, right. um, some of these processes, processes, they use uh, butane and that when we were first smoking, the only way this stuff was made was, uh, it was called BHO, which is butane hash oil. Um, and they would, they would use butane to extract the cannabinoids and whatnot out of the cannabis. Um, and then they would purge it. Um, and sometimes it would be improperly purged. There'd be butane left behind in the dabs and people would be smoking butane with their dabs at very high temperatures. And it's all bad. So, but yeah, we, we were like the, uh, we were the guinea pigs for that one for sure. Yeah. So another reason why we wanted to spread some knowledge on this, share a little education and just shine some light on definitely a darker part of the industry where people, uh, you know, you'll see memes about it or jokes about it, or people don't know anything really about it at all. And, um, you know, definitely not safe, especially, uh, you know, if you've never used cannabis or you don't really heavily smoke, uh, I would never recommend just, you know, going out and, uh, you know, ripping a dab. Starting off with the, yeah, you don't start with a dab. Yeah, starting off with a dab. So, start with a one hitter. You know, and that, that's the same thing too, right? So, um, even with those dabs, there's also the pens. Uh, Reed, Reed and I used to joke about this, um, about uh, make, make flour great again. Um, just because there was just a time in the, and it's still happening now. No, yeah, like, nobody was smoking flour anymore. Yeah. No, everybody's had their, their, you know, their weed pen. Right. I'm um, happy to cheap on that. And, we and that's the same thing with those oh. pins. Uh, you need to be careful because when you turn those batteries up really high and they're, yeah. uh, ripping, um, you know, really hot, that's the same thing. It could be creating carcinogenic, uh, you know, carcinogenic chemicals or whatever, and uh, those can be really bad for you as well. So be careful there. But to go back to make flour great again, <clears throat> you know, our listeners out there that, you know, have been, uh, you know, maybe smoking a little weed uh, growing up. You can even remember back in the day when it was still very, very illegal. You know, you were risking it uh, pretty heavy sometimes just to get it to get together with friends, you know, huddle up maybe a mile, you know, into the woods around the stump or you know, maybe you were just kicking it at that one kid's house where you could just do shit like that. But, you know, huddling up with friends and there was a kind of a ritual or a routine. You broke it down, you rolled it up and uh, you shared your ideas, your dreams, your thoughts, maybe made some jokes or maybe you met somebody that, uh, you know, challenged the way you saw the world and opened your mind a little bit. So, again, let's make flower great again, because as uh, Reed let us know last week, 
um, you know, flower sales are actually down. Um, and I hope that's not because people are just ripping dabs and stuff too. Um, but you uh, know, it's, it's the ed- edibles that. people are liking the edibles, which and, I don't have a problem with that. You know, edibles are right. pretty healthy way to consume. Um, as long as they're clean, um, you don't want your liver to be processing the unhealthy stuff instead of your right. lungs, you know, right. trade one bad thing for another. But, uh, yeah, I think overall edibles are probably the healthiest way to consume. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Uh, flat, flower. I, I, you know, it's I don't disagree. Thing. I don't disagree. It's beautiful. And, yeah. um, you it's know, so I think good. it'll always have its place. And, you know, I went on a little rant there. My mouth is, uh, getting a little dry. You know, the OG Kush is, you know, really settling in. So, uh, it's been a, uh, a great talk here. This, uh, this is your weekly traffic report where, you know, we're bringing you weekly updates on legislation, uh, the cannabis industry and, doing a little product review ourselves. So Reed, I can't thank you enough, my friend. All right. Thank you, JB. And now a mindful minute with Stash Adams. All right. Mindful minutes. Our first one of these, Um, you know, being in the yoga space and the mindfulness space and, you know, just being human and someone who, you know, makes mistakes and is trying to grow and, you know, do all these things, create this life. Um, I was in meditation today, a guided meditation class and going into the class had a lot of, you know, a lot of my mind and all these things. And I had really been thinking about like self-inflicted wounds, um, you know, things we do, whether it be acting on impulse or, uh, making the wrong decisions or anything, you know, anything like that, um, you know, that ends up coming back to bite you later, um, self-inflicted wounds. And as I was going in there, I was thinking about it. Um, and the teacher, Michelle, she, she said, okay, the theme for meditation today is going to be peace, finding peace. Right. And so one of the main mantras in meditation was, um, my, my happiness and my suffering are a reflection of my thoughts and my actions. And so thinking about that, you know, first it all draws it together with me. First things first with like, you know, the power of positivity. Um, the power of positivity, and then also the things that you spend your time with. Um, So, you know, whatever you spend your time with, or the people you spend your time with, you know, they say, you know, if you spend all your time with four millionaires, you'll be the fifth one, you know, same thing, if you spend your time with four low lives, you'll be the fifth one, Um, things like that. And so, you know, the law of attraction. And with that, you know, I think it just brought me to the importance to cultivating positive, um, a positive environment in your life to thinking and breathing life into the positive things in your life. And then when you do have those moments where you're reflecting and you might have made a bad decision or um, anything like that, ownership, you know, kind of owning up to the things that you've done, not taking them necessarily as lessons, but more so lessons, Um, you know, lessons can hurt pretty bad. You know, we all we've all done things we're not proud of, um, you know, hurt people, um, you know, the list goes on of things, but I think the biggest thing is how you get back up from it, how you stand and face it, how you accept, um, the, the decisions that you've made and you lie in the bed that you made. Uh, I don't think that any one of us should really be judged for one choice or decision that we've made. Um, although, one choice or decision can change your life. I think that looking at a person's full body of work and 
as a friend, when I see it in my friends, you know, being there for someone and being able to help them and guide them and, you know, just to make sure they're not alone in those times really does a lot to help that person cultivate that positive mindset when trying to dig themselves out of a rut. Um, and, you know, I just, so yeah, that's a mindful minute, mindful minute with me. Uh, just a second to take a look, go in a little bit. Um, so when you go out there, don't be too hard on yourselves. Try to make good decisions, surround yourself with good people and try your best to stay positive. Even when life gets you a little down mindful minute with your boy, Stash Adams, y'all take it easy. Thank you so much. And again, that was the mindful minute with Stash Adams. And just to highlight a couple of those, our thoughts and our actions, you know, and taking ownership of, uh, of what we do. And, you know, again, you know, one choice or decision, you know, can change your whole life. But that being said, too, you shouldn't judge somebody based off of all their choices and decisions. But use those 10 seconds before you make that decision, because it can change your life. That 10 seconds, that's a big Jim Tressel original right there, right? Yes, sir. Take 10 seconds. Think about it. If it still seems like a good idea, have at it. If it doesn't, take off for the hills. And uh, we got a couple of stash it or pass it topics for the week. You know, I know I got one here that my man, uh, my man, big smudge stash Adams will appreciate. You know, we were talking about it earlier this week. If you caught our Oracle card uh, reading that my man gave us here live on air. But that is the Crocs Renaissance. And uh, and if you don't know it, my man here, stash Adams has been rocking the Crocs heavy since about circa 2009. So, Mike, what do you have to say about the uh, the Crocs renaissance? Man, being a decade in, um, you know, personally rocking these personal yoga mats on my feet. Um, personal yoga mats look. on your feet. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you this. I, I said sport mode back before there was an Instagram, a Vine, a MySpace, a, a FaceTime, Facebook, all of that. You know what I'm saying? I've been here. You know, I ain't new to this. I'm true to this. I rock my straps forward. I rock them back. Depends on the occasion. But one thing I'll tell you, always follow your gut. So about nine, ten, I guess almost a year ago, I had a real inclination to go ahead and buy Crocs, right? Like not actual on my feet, but the stock, you know? And uh, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, no. I I missed the boat. Missed the boat. It started jumping. It started growing. Can't tell you how many times I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hop on my TD Ameritrade or whatever and buy a bunch. And I just never did. And now you see where we're at. I think we're like, what, year to date? They're like plus like 500% or something crazy. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you right now. Um, Q2, which, which they just posted in 2020, they had uh, $640 million in revenue. So, you know, the Crocs Renaissance, it's still going brother you may have not missed the boat me personally probably not gonna buy any croc stock but it uh crocs and i believe zoom are two of the uh you know shout out to zoom this is a zoom video appreciate you um zoom is also uh you know really uh riding that candle up there so buy what you love the crocs renaissance and uh mike let me ask you where did uh where did you get your first pair of crocs Ah, uh, my first pair of Crocs, I stole them. You stole, stole them. them? Right out of JB's, right out of your bedroom. 
uh, we were going to class one day. I saw JB rocking these red Ohio state Crocs and, you know, I put them on to go check the mail one day or something. And my life was never the same. And he never got them back. What are those little, those little toys that you, that you buckle to your Crocs? Oh, they're not toys. They're called gibbets. 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 I have some gibbets. I got, I have a weed leaf. One of my yoga teacher friends. That's so beautiful. You know, I got a, a pair of sunglasses my mom got me, and I have a race car. Because mm, you're a real race car driver, aren't you? Real race car driver, brother. You know what I'm saying? The Croc Nest Monster, it's here. It's never going to end. The Croc Nest Monster. That's another one. So we got Big Smudge, a.k.a. the Croc Nest Monster. Stash that, baby. Hey, we stashing that all day, which leads us to. So that's the first story. We're going to stash that one. Now, here's one that's a little sad, and that is Arthur. You remember my man, Arthur? You know, his uh, his shows used to come on the PBS channel. You remember my man, Arthur? Oh, yeah, the art An- art. Yep, animated kids show. 25 years running, longest show, animated kids. And, uh, you know, it's, it's ending this year. No. Yeah, man. Arthur. All those epic. Arthur made a epic comeback movies. these last couple of years in the meme world. Oh, absolutely. The diamond hand meme. <laughs> so like, I'm going to kick your ass me. I mean, there's so many, they're unbelievable. The clench based meme, Arthur. Bro. But that's one that, um, you know, I'm just going to have to pass because it's, uh, it brings me down a little bit. It's a little too sad for me to pass it on. Yep. So, well, on a brighter note, we have here, you know, one of our girls here, AOC in Congress, that's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She is reintroducing an amendment to allow for federal research of psychedelics. And I 100% am going to stash that and support that. 100% stashing that, brother. You know, I mean, it's nothing new to us. You know, we've been uh, in the plant medicine world for strong over a decade now. And, um, you know, I can say that you know, the moments of realization and um, introspect and everything that I've been able to have with the help of plant medicine have been nothing short of life changing. Um, I feel more than more than confident and comfortable saying that I wouldn't be who I am today without it, um, right. whether that being mushrooms or um, DMT um, or, you know, even something synthetic like LSD. Uh, you know, so I'm stashing that all the way, brother. Yeah, I'm stashing that absolutely. And, uh, you know, so this bill, it actually, uh, you know, what it helps do too is remove some of these drugs off of the schedule, schedule one uh, list. And those are MDMA, psilocybin, and ibogaine for this one which ibogaine if people don't know about that that's a uh, a drug that's used like even in canada that uh you know has over an 80 percent uh heroin addiction rate for you know say people that are going through uh major heroin withdrawals to the point where you know they can almost die from the withdrawal they can do an ibogaine treatment that's pretty intense itself but uh you know those show some very uh you know some very good numbers as far as recovery but anyways um so a couple companies out there that are involved in this that I follow too. One is called uh, MindMed. The the symbol for that is uh, MNMD. Um, you know Kevin O'Leary, Mister Wonderful. He's one of the biggest investors in that. So that's how I found out about it. But 
um, still a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty uh, speculative, speculative style company, uh, really small uh, share price around $3 a share. But, um, you know, so companies like that, another one is called uh, Field Trip Health, FTRP. They're about to be listed on the NASDAQ too. But, uh, and another one that's a penny stock called Silo Pharmaceutical, S-I-L-O. Um, some of these companies will definitely benefit from that, uh, you know, from news like that. But uh, again, like Mike said, I uh, wholeheartedly support that and I'm stashing that one. So next we had here, I found a little bit of uh, some good news around the world. My man, Ray Lewis, Ray Lucas, and uh, there's a GoFundMe page up for this dude. This is a father in Michigan who ran into a burning house to save his twin daughters. Who were 18 oh months. man, I saw that. The baby twins. Yes, dude. So Unbelievable. we will have uh, a link to this story um, in our show notes. Really all this stuff that we're talking about, we'll have links in our show notes so you can check those out. But uh, the, the reason I wanted to talk about this one, there is a GoFundMe page. But uh, this dude ran into this house, him and his uh, and his wife had like walked to the store. And when they came home, the house was on fire. His mom and his niece were outside, um, you know, so the grandma and, the, and one of the other kids. And, um, you know, she didn't have the babies. The house was on fire. So he said, he's like, you know, I just had to I knew I had to run in, runs in there, gets his daughters, um, their names. Um, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know. I mean, this was in the report but uh malaysia and milan they were a uh, twin daughters 18 months years old this dude was blind for three days after running in there and they were like you know the kids like you know got burnt and stuff but from what i read you know they're doing better now he can see again there's a gofundme page up though because uh you know they lost everything so a uh, a heroic story you know definitely inspirational but um definitely gonna stash that one Absolutely. Stash that. Go ahead. Click the link. Go to the GoFundMe. Support, support, support. Can't say enough how much, how important it is. It takes a village, y'all. So go ahead and help these people out. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, the next one here, another feel good story. We got Linda and David Brown out in Missouri. You know, so they actually transformed an abandoned mobile home park into a tiny home village, which uh, they ended up raising. $4.75 million. And uh, they ended up calling this uh, Eden Village. And they opened in 2018. They're up to 31 tiny homes now, but uh, opened those for uh, the chronically disabled uh, homeless people with a goal to uh, basically eradicate homelessness in their town in Missouri. I didn't catch the name of the town, um, but, uh, you know, maybe once you get in there and click, click around and whatnot, you know, you can find out more information, but, you know, another feel good story, inspirational story. Like Mike said, it takes a village, you know, it takes, uh, you know, people, just everyday people coming together to uh, create some good in the world and uh, to pass out, uh, to pass on some love. So I'm going to stash that one too. Stash that man, spread the love, spread the love. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about, everybody. Well, there it is again, coming at you live with a little bit from the culture report i'm your man jeff shugarts and i'm here with big smudge stash adams what, what was the new croc one the croc mess monster that ain't new that's Ooh. true oh we just let them know we just let yeah, them know the croc know, mess baby, monster stash it. and that's all folks
Thanks again for joining us this week. I'm your host, Jeff Shugarts, and this is the Stash It or Pass It podcast. If you like what you hear, then please pass us on to all your friends and family and to all those you love. And remember to check out the show notes. We're going to have some affiliate links in there from uh, different things that we talked about. We'll have links in there to different stories that we talked about as well. And uh, next week, we're going to have a friend of ours come on the show. We're going to be interviewing Jamie Wood. We played football with him at uh, Ohio State in college. He is on the new HBO show, uh, which premiered Thursday, July 29th, called F-Boy Island. It's basically The Bachelor slash Bachelorette meets uh, Bachelor in Paradise. So it's a pretty interesting show. It's a lot of fun, and uh, it's on HBO. So the script is a little bit different. They're allowed to get a little bit more wild. The host is Nikki Glazer. I don't know if you know her. She uh, She's a comedian. She's pretty funny. So if you got HBO, definitely uh, check it out. The first three episodes come out uh, Thursday, July 29th, which was, uh, you know, today, which is uh, yesterday, as you're listening right now on Friday. So again, uh, thanks for joining us on the uh, Stash It or Pass It podcast. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week.